I'd gone away for the weekend with some friends, some pretty boozy friends, apart from my poor long-suffering husband. And there we were. We arrived on the Friday, lots of drinking on that Friday evening, uh, started the Saturday morning with bubbly, drinking all day Saturday, and then waking up Sunday feeling absolutely terrible, having breakfast with everybody, pretending that I was absolutely fine, doing the British stiff upper lip thing. And I said in a little chirpy voice, I said, why don't we walk to the next village? We can check out a house there that I've heard about. It's supposed to be beautiful and maybe we can rent it next time we come this way. So there was a weird kind of hush and everybody looked at me and they said, well, Janet, we did that yesterday afternoon. You were with us. You were walking okay, talking okay. Surely you remember. And I had absolutely no memory of this quite long walk. And I really racked my brains and and I realized that I'd lost about six hours of the previous day. And for some reason, that really scared me. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the very first episode of the Tribe Sober podcast. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm a Brit living in South Africa, and I was dependent on alcohol for many, many years. In this podcast, I'm planning to interview experts and quitlit authors, and of course, people who've managed to ditch the drink and thrive in their alcohol-free life. I believe that sharing our stories is a powerful way to connect and inspire others to change their relationship with alcohol. So in this very first episode, I'll be setting the scene by sharing my story. I divide my story up into three wake-up calls. The first wake-up call came at the tender age of 25. I was sharing a flat in London with three other ladies. We all had good jobs. We used to work hard and party hard. And one evening, we had some friends around. And the next morning, I woke up in hospital. I had no idea why I was in hospital, which hospital I was in, or how I'd got there. So it transpired that the previous evening, I'd announced to somebody that I was going to bed because I was very tired. And I'd gone into the bathroom, locked the door. I always used to have a bath before I went to sleep, so I can only imagine that I was on automatic pilot. One of my flatmates banged on the door to say goodnight, and there was no answer. So she called some of the others, they banged harder, and there was still no answer, so they panicked a bit. They called 999, explained the situation, so the firemen turned up, the medics turned up, and they had to knock the bathroom door down and sure enough I was under the water pretty much unconscious and they had to get me out of the bath and revive me and it was a real drama. So that was a pretty serious wake-up call but sadly I didn't take it seriously. 
we just laughed it off, turned it into a joke, became a bit of a legend. Did you hear about Janet and her bath, people used to say before they laughed. So nothing changed as a result of that. Carried on drinking my wine. Always, you know, at least uh, a couple of glasses of wine in the evening. It was normal. It's what people did, didn't they? When I was 30, I got married to someone else who liked to drink. Surprise, surprise. So our routine used to be come home from work, have a shot of Jack Daniels, open the wine with dinner. It was completely normalized. All our friends were like that too. At the weekend, we'd have dinner parties that went on till three o'clock in the morning. Still remember all those bottles. It was completely normalized. We thought we were living the good life and we were. We were working hard. We were playing hard totally functioning, but probably already on the borderline of being alcoholics. So in my 40s, I got divorced and remarried. And that's when things started to change. My new husband was French, and he wasn't too impressed with all this English drinking that was going on. He was surprised I was drinking every night and that I was putting away a bottle of wine sometimes and on the on the verge of blacking out other times. And he used to tell me, you know, to to call it a bit, to stop drinking so much. He didn't like it. And he, you know, was an extremely moderate drinker, which made me look even more extreme. So because I wanted to stay with this guy, I um, really tried very hard to moderate. And I think this happens to many people. I think it's only when we try to cut down that we realize, oh dear, I'm completely dependent on this stuff. So I really tried hard. I remember I had a little notebook. I used to mark all my units down. I looked at what the safe limits of alcohol were, and I was horrified to discover it was a a bottle and a half of wine a week. And I was often putting that away of an evening. So I tried and sometimes I could get as far as a week, even two weeks by sheer willpower, by white knuckling it all the way. But it wasn't sustainable. And after a few weeks, inevitably, I would go go over the top and drink until the wheels came off. So in a way, it just made, made things worse. And then in my 50s, uh, I got breast cancer. So I see that as my wake up call number two. These days, the the link between breast cancer and alcohol is very well documented and the evidence is there. But this was back in 2006 and people didn't used to talk about that link at all, really, even the oncologists. So uh, I had to, you know, go through mastectomy, chemotherapy, a whole year of treatment. It was pretty tough, but I carried on drinking. I think I might have switched from white wine to red wine because I'd read in a magazine that red wine is good for you, which of course I know now is complete nonsense. So I carried on with my drinking. My third and final wake up call came a few years later. I'd gone away for the weekend with some friends, some pretty boozy friends, apart from my poor, long-suffering husband. And there we were. We arrived on the Friday, lots of drinking on that Friday evening, uh, started the Saturday morning with bubbly, drinking all day Saturday, and then waking up Sunday feeling absolutely terrible, having breakfast with everybody pretending that I was absolutely fine, doing the British stiff upper lip thing. And I said in a little chirpy voice, I said, why don't we walk to the next village? We can check out a house there that I've heard about. It's supposed to be beautiful and maybe we can rent it next time we come this way. 
So there was a weird kind of hush and everybody looked at me and they said, well, Janet, we did that yesterday afternoon. You were with us. You were walking okay, talking okay. Surely you remember. And I had absolutely no memory of this quite long walk. And I really racked my brains and and I realized that I'd lost about six hours of the previous day. And for some reason, that really scared me. I think I knew that I'd been harming my body with all this drinking and the breast cancer was was proof of that. But I think on that day, I realized that I was damaging my brain as well. Because once I googled these kind of blackouts, I discovered that it meant that your brain is so soaked in alcohol that you can't even make memories. It wasn't about forgetting stuff. I mean, I'd had lots of those kind of blackouts where the end of the evening's a bit blurry. You kind of wake up in the morning looking for your, your jacket and your handbag to make sure everything got back safely. But this was something else. This was total amnesia of a big part of the day. And, you know, getting a bit older, uh, the last thing that I wanted to do was to start damaging my brain. So I thought, this is it. The Monday morning after that weekend, I said to my husband, that's it. I'm done. I'm not drinking anymore. And to be fair to him, he didn't say, oh, I've heard that before. He said, you know, you've never said that before. You always say, I'm going to cut down. So this time it was different. I decided that I was going to stop completely. But of course, once I'd made that decision, then I had to work out how, how on earth was I going to do this thing? So of course I trotted along to AA. I didn't know what else to do. Surely everybody went to AA if they had a drinking problem. So I went to an AA meeting. In fact, I went to several AA meetings, but it wasn't working for me. I just couldn't find my my crowd. And the people there seemed further down the line than me. I always felt a bit of a lightweight with my bottle of wine every evening. You know, these people, some of them were were drinking whiskey when they woke up in the morning, and some of them had lost their families, their jobs, their houses, etc. I wasn't quite in that league. I was probably on my way there, but I hadn't got there yet. So I couldn't really relate to them. In fact, I would leave a meeting thinking, oh, maybe I'm not that bad. But I was still determined. I knew things had to change. So I carried on looking, looking for a solution. I found a one-day workshop in London, and I was due to go home for a visit. So I thought, let me check this out. And that one-day workshop changed everything. And there was nothing magic about the workshop. I mean, it was run by a nurse who explained to us all the damage that alcohol does to our bodies, which was certainly an eye-opener for me. I hadn't known quite how bad it was. She also gave us some techniques to change our behavior. But the the real game changer was that I met people that people like me. And they were, you know, ladies with good jobs and nice families. They were putting away a bottle of wine every evening and they knew it wasn't sustainable. Seven bottles of wine a week are too much, you know, and in fact I was drinking more at the weekend. So it was all definitely too much. So I returned to South Africa, stayed in touch with these people. They were my my sober crew. So about six or seven months into sobriety, I was feeling pretty good. And I started to have this idea that I could design a workshop. I'd got 25 years experience in training and development. I was an executive coach. I was an HR director. 
I had the skills to design a workshop that may help other people in South Africa, other people who perhaps didn't gel with AA just like I hadn't. So I designed a course and I ran the course and plenty of people pitched up and I kept doing this and I, I was blogging as well. I started a blog the, the day that I stopped drinking and I found that it really helped. And my blog uh, attracted plenty of comments and somehow that blog and my workshops evolved into what is Tribe Sober today. And the other thing that I did is I, I retrained from an executive coach to a recovery coach so that we could offer coaching as well. So that's how Tribe Sober was born. People that came to our workshops, they wanted to stay connected with other people they met on the workshops, just like I had done with that London crowd. So we set up a membership. And we, uh, we connect our people. We now have an international tribe and we give them content and we connect them with each other so that they can encourage and support each other. So that's how I stopped drinking and started Tribe Sober. On my first soberversary, I decided to write a goodbye to alcohol letter. Now, the premise behind a goodbye to alcohol letter is that alcohol is a bit like an abusive lover. It causes havoc in your life. You kick it out and then it tells you, oh, give me another chance. It'll be better this time. So it comes back and it's better for a while and then it all goes pear-shaped again. So there's, there's many similarities there. So I decided to write a letter to alcohol as if it was an abusive lover. And it was a very powerful and quite cathartic experience. And what happened was um, I ended up reading this letter on national radio here in South Africa. So we had a brilliant response to that program. Many people emailed me. They sent me their goodbye to alcohol letters. And we now store those letters on our website, tribesober.com. And we also recommend that people write a goodbye to alcohol letter when they come to our workshops. It's one of our items in our toolkits. And if you'd like to write a letter and send it to me, Janet, at tribesober.com, then that would be awesome and we'll publish it on our website. So let me read you mine and you'll get an idea what these letters are all about. Dear Alcohol, this is one of the hardest letters I've ever had to write. How can we possibly break up after 40 years together? My life has involved changing countries, changing jobs, even changing husbands and friends, but never changing you. You were always there as my constant companion. We met when I was still a teenager. You gave me the courage I needed to get through college and to make and sustain relationships. We had some wonderful times together. I flirted with drugs but stayed faithful to you. You were the best and made me feel special. You gave me confidence. I was still me, but just an amplified version. You helped me to soothe the pain when things were not so good. Why suffer with difficult emotions when you were there to erase them? As I entered my 20s, there were a few warning signs. Do you remember that time I got so hammered I passed out in the bath and my flatmate had to ring the fire brigade to knock the door down? That was a great story to tell especially the bit when I woke up in hospital with a shrink by my bedside. How we laughed at that one. 
You were there when I met my first husband, who also loved a drink, as did all our friends. I deserted you briefly when I became pregnant with my son, but I still remember how much I missed you and how happy I was when we were reunited to toast the baby's arrival. You never prevented me from succeeding in my career, surrounded by heavy drinking colleagues. We all believed in work hard, play hard, and anyone missing the weekly drinking session was viewed with great suspicion and written off as boring. After more than 20 happy years together, trouble came when I married for the second time. For some inexplicable reason, my second husband hated you. He was jealous and resentful of the hold you had over me, and I realized that I would have to choose. Much to your fury, I chose him. He made me see that I was lost in you and that you could even kill me. I went through breast cancer, but you convinced me you were innocent and I needed you even more to dull the fear of dying. There followed a decade of trying to moderate. The thought of losing you completely was anathema to me, but surely we could all live together if you and I were to cool our relationship. This ménage à toi worked for a while. For months at a time, we'd all get along fine. And then you'd suddenly exert your power and make sure that we had a crazy time together. Blackouts, injuries, and terrible hangovers would follow, and I would hate myself for giving in to you. You had become controlling and just wouldn't let me go. The push and pull was becoming too much to bear. I came to the jumping off place. Blackout followed blackout while my husband watched on helplessly. Sometimes I could easily drink a couple of bottles of wine and feel nothing at all. Other times I would feel quite drunk after just one glass. I finally realized this could not go on. There would be no going back if I continued on this path. So on May the 23rd, 2015, I made my decision. I told you it was over. My heart was heavy, but you were ruining my life. That was a whole year ago, so I know it's possible to live without you. How you struggled at first. Every day you hopped on and on at me. I had no peace. You told me I would never survive a party or social event without you. Evenings at home without you beside me were endless, painful and pointless. Socializing was difficult. I could not even get to sleep without you and lay awake for hours wondering if I'd done the right thing. Without you to encourage me, I felt depressed, angry and resentful of everyone still drinking. You told me I would never cope with the bad times without you. After all, what experience did I have of dealing with my emotions? How I miss the buzz, that beautiful high that came after a few glasses of wine, especially on an empty stomach. Never mind that after the high, I would sometimes come crashing down and end up in tears. But I hung on in there and very slowly it got better. Your voice became fainter, my friends stuck beside me and of course my long-suffering husband was thrilled. I now realise that during all those years of trying to moderate, our relationship was actually as strong as ever. Your hold on me was ever-present. You would allow me to cool it for a while and then come storming back with a vengeance, causing havoc in my life. You were right, it was hard, and sometimes it still is. Looking back on my year of sobriety, I still remember the dismal birthday, Christmas and New Year's celebrations, 
How could I celebrate without you beside me? But I'm learning, and year two is going to be easier now that your power over me has diminished and I have experienced the joy of living without you. So thanks for the memories. I'll never forget you. And I often smile as I think back to those crazy times we had together. But it's time for me to try a new life now and for me to continue to live without you. Yours sincerely, Janet. So that letter was written on my first soberversary, and this podcast is being launched on my fifth soberversary. So that's it from me. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you'll follow the podcast, and I'll be back next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.